Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the Data Binge podcast. The title of today's episode number three is Gloves Off, The Real Deal on Data Security. I'm your host, Derek Russell. I'm currently a solution specialist for Microsoft's enterprise data and AI solution area. And as you can probably imagine, this is a super hot area as businesses are trying to become more data-driven. All of you are going to be super pumped for today's episode. I have a special guest on that I just love talking with. and He's a very technical person, but he's going to share a holistic and non-technical way of looking at data security. So today we have Matt Hollingsworth on the podcast. Matt just represents an absolute wealth of knowledge, as you'll see, and brings with him some really great stories from his time on the product team at Microsoft. The Data Binge podcast is a series of interviews that I hope to have once or twice a month with colleagues that I work with here at Microsoft who really understand the need for big businesses to leverage the power of their data. The intent is really to establish an awesome library, a killer on-the-go consumable intelligence platform on how businesses should be positioning cloud, AI, machine learning, and other data-driven tech across various industry verticals. So if you're an employee, you're a customer, you're a tech enthusiast, or you're an investor, especially now that the S&P is comprised of about 25% tech businesses, looking to learn more about the cloud market, you're going to be super stoked on this content. So please feel free to reach me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, at D-R-U-S-S Network on Instagram or Twitter. This is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of our employer, Microsoft. So let's get started. I hope all of you really enjoy today. I think you will. Matt Hollingsworth, welcome to the Data Binge podcast today. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Derek. I've uh, enjoyed working with you quite a bit. And uh, myself and a lot of the folks on the team are starting to call you, uh, we have a nickname for you. Uh Uh-oh. And the nickname is The Weapon. (laughs) (laughs) because uh you're just you you have such powerful experience um with with databases and and a lot of the things we're doing here at microsoft you have just awesome awesome stories and you're just a very powerful person to bring to meetings and put in front of customers so we really appreciate you so thanks for coming on again how about you just jump in and and start telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you've been doing at microsoft and you know, what the heck you're doing here on our team. Sure. So let's see, I guess it's been, I've been in the industry for 27 years. I started out in uh, telco doing software development and on the mainframe when the PC was used only for connecting to the mainframe more or less. Uh, So it's changed a lot. I jumped to Unix at one point um, and became a database expert at GTE in the telco side. So I got to use everything, pretty much every database known to man. Um, And from there, I thought Oracle was going to do very well. And I wanted to move, and I moved to Seattle and worked for Oracle as a performance tuning expert in in the emerging cable and wireless sort of area, which was the hot area at the time. Uh, From there, I I was briefly a manager of an international uh, team of database administrators um, at an international company. And moved from there to Microsoft in 1999. So I've been at Microsoft pretty much, except for one year, uh, since 1999. And in that time, I've worked exclusively with the database area. So that's that's sort of my background. So so you said one year. So why did you why did you leave and why did you come back? Oh, I had a great opportunity. I'm passionate about renewable energy, 
And Bill Gates's one of Bill Gates's technical assistants had left the company uh, to work with uh, a friend from college from Stanford that uh, had was working on a very leading edge uh, renewable energy company. The, probably the most interesting part was uh, using satellite uh, ghost satellite uh, feeds along with weather data and some PhD scientists in Albany to be able to monitor global irradiance in real time and then predict solar output uh, for utilities. A lot of applications for that. So really, really exciting work, sort of the pay cut passion sort of job for a year. Um, but after that, I, I ended up uh, moving to SoCal and getting married to somebody and coming back to Microsoft. So now I'm in the field. So you, so you left the, the, the 90 hour a week uh, craziness of the product group and came over here to Southern Cali to to have fun in the sun or is that, is that, is that, uh, that's, that's it. And my wife right. didn't, was a producer, couldn't move easily from here. So that's why I'm here. And I'm not, uh, it's definitely a nice contrast to the weather in Seattle. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're very glad to have you. And, um, so I reached out to you and said, Hey, Matt, you know, have this podcast that I'm, that I'm starting up and have some really interesting people that join. And we're starting to talk about how businesses could, can better leverage the power of their data estate. And, one of the things that I asked uh, whether or not you were passionate about is, is security. And you said, oh my gosh, I'd, I'd love to talk about security. And, and now that we're in this world of the Equifaxes and the Yahoos and the Targets and even the Ubers um, had some data breaches last year, actually, around uh, November of 2017, this is on everyone's mind. Um, so with your, with your powerful resume, working with, with, with Oracle and at, uh, with the product team uh, at Microsoft, so what are, what's going on? What's going on with security? Um, and what, are, what should businesses start thinking about right now in terms of protecting their data? You know, I feel, I feel like security is like managing your health. Um, you're not really going to prevent something from happening 100%. It's more of a statistics game. So you want to lower, lower the likelihood that you're going to catch something and that it's going to be fatal, hopefully, or something that really impacts your long-term health. And so it's, a, it's an ongoing maintenance. You know, you have to watch your diet. You have to get exercise. Um, it's not going to protect you from everything. You may even have something genetically that you can't, you can't outrun. Um, but having said that, um, a little bit of care for your health, for your security health, goes a long way. Um, and as you start, it's like most engineering problems. As you start focusing on it, uh, you get diminishing returns. It becomes, becomes sort of asymptotic to impossible. So you really need to set the goals up front. Uh, the most important thing is to, and this is true for performance tuning and security and many engineering um, you know, approaches, you just need to know what it is that you're, you're shooting for so that you can make the right trade-offs. So, and there are, there are a lot of areas of security that um, come into play. Um, security means something different to everyone, and even the things that you're protecting against are different for different people. And privacy is another whole area that's very, um, it's, you know, front page of the news with Facebook now. Um, I actually have a contrarian view, even though I've been a huge privacy expert for a long time. I think that, you know, in some ways, Facebook's becoming unfairly maligned for, you know, some lack of focus of regulation in the industry in the United States on data privacy among companies. So everybody's collecting everything and, you know, they share it with each other and those databases get bigger and bigger. And, you know, we work directly with companies that do that. So we see it from the inside all the time. And, uh, you know, we really need to think about, you know, what we're doing with our information, what's possible in terms of privacy and then what, 
um, how we want to move forward. And I don't think that conversation's really been had yet. And now Facebook is the latest example of uh, to be put on the rack and as though they are the outlier, which I don't think is probably true. So that's privacy. And that's probably a whole nother discussion unless that's what you want to talk about there. Yeah, well, I, I know you're, you're super passionate about privacy, and I think you could probably also uh, take us on a, a magical journey into Russian conspiracies as well. But <laughs> for, for, uh, let's, let's just stay on, on, on the topic of what, what some of our customers are doing. People are moving into this multi-cloud, multi-database, managing their own data center businesses, and they're, they're asking the tough questions around are we susceptible to data breaches? How are we protecting ourselves? Is this, you know, all these complicated solutions around AI powered uh, data protection is, is all over the media, all over LinkedIn and new companies are, are, are talking about this all the, all the time. What are your thoughts about how businesses should protect themselves? Well, again, I think the, the main thing is to think about what is it that you're worried about from an attack vector standpoint? Um, and, you know, what we do internally um, is we, we do threat models. So we imagine, you know, as a group, all of the types of attacks that could occur and the impacts of those attacks. And then we develop a plan to mitigate to the, and do the trade-offs engineering-wise between usability, security, um, and other, other factors that come up in the threat model uh, to do, do the right trade-offs. And, and those change over time, um, but there's never... You know, products that ship, this, a lot of people don't realize this, but when products ship, they ship with, with hundreds or thousands of bugs for an area. And that's just the nature of software development. It's a constant, prog- you know, uh, it's just like security itself. It's a constant process of, of prioritizing and addressing um, areas that you want to address. So that's the way companies need to think about security as well. And I think the first thing that I would sort of think about as a company or anybody that's working with data um, is to ensure you have a good backup recovery strategy because regardless of all the other things that you do and the attacks you look at, you want to be able to have a history of, of, of you know, backups of your data that you can restore in one ma- manner or another. There are different technologies, but ensuring that you have that up front is probably the number one um, goal. And probably the second thing before you even get to threat models is to ensure that you have an adequate audit policy so that you can do uh, sort of a root cause anal- analysis um, and, and look at what failed when you do have a, a problem. Um, I got interested in security in the late 80s when I read The Cuckoo's Egg, um, which was the first book, I think, that had really been written about hacking and tracking hacking. And, you know, that's a great book even today to read and, you know, very insightful for, for something written that long ago. Um, when we were on the mainframe mostly at that time um, to just look at, you know, what you have to think about in terms of trying to even track and understand that you've experienced an attack. I mean, as you're walking around, you've probably got all, you're fighting off all kinds of illnesses. And I think security is that way that, you know, you probably don't even realize when um, people are, you know, improperly using your networks or information, you know, stealing data. Yeah, um, I think I think I saw some some quick stats from a, a keynote speech that Ginny Rometty from IBM gave and I think she said that it's an average of 229 days before a business may even know if they've had a a breach. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the, the interesting thing to ask next would be, well, you know, how do we get those stats? So just because you 
you didn't find five of those, they don't show up in the stats, right? <laughs> sort of a chicken or egg problem. Um, yeah. So how are these businesses losing information? Insiders. Insiders are 70%. There's an insider um, engaged in, you know, any kind of theft in, in most cases. Um, and so another thing to probably bring up at this point is to understand that, you know, we we shouldn't be thinking of it as though we have medieval castles where you have a moat and a high wall and you've got maybe some boiling oil to pour on people if they come near your castle. Um, because in the reality, we have planes today. You know, a plane can drop a bomb on a castle these days, which is why we don't do that. And that's really where security is now. So unfortunately, people focus on the network and trying to secure the network and create a, creating a high wall. And really, that that may not be the best uh, overall way to look at the problem because, like I said, a lot of insider threats. And so what you want to think about is that each system has its own wall uh, around it. And then within that, you have a separation of duties so that different people have different responsibilities. And, you know, you're not giving out the king's keys to the kingdom if for someone to work within one of the castles. So a lot of the focus in Microsoft is to provide granularity to customers on how they grant security for different things that need to be done. And we also, one thing I will put a plug in for Microsoft, we're probably the best in the industry um, in terms of having a platform that allows a consistent auditing across different products. Uh, you know, it, we move a little slower because we, ha- we have a lot of products that have to be integrated, but the benefit, of course, is that when it comes to something like audit, you have a standard auditing format. And thus, when you get an attack, you might have a lot of different things happening. Um, one at the operating system that's a little bit curious, and then you might have a login to a database, et cetera. And all those can be seen in a, in a serialized list of, of activities. So that's, that's one of the benefits. And again, speaks to the importance of having the audit besides um, you know, trying to think about basic security. And I like the analogy that you had with, uh, behind, you know, trying to protect your data in terms of like building a castle and having a moat and things and just having just different ways of penetrating that castle and those castle walls. Um, so do you, are you seeing anything and do you think that a lot of the, these, these AI um, related security uh, protection suites will be able to protect businesses from these, these types of breach? Uh, I think they're dangerous. And I think um, I'm not saying that people shouldn't use those. They're, they're great, but I think they're overvalued because of the coolness factor. Um, it, it, you know, because of the way things operate, there will be things AI can do that, that the humans can, especially with complicated attacks. Um, so I, I don't want to say that, but there's a little bit of a risk of, of focusing too much on the tree and missing the forest. Um, one thing that hackers uh, in general are very good at and what really makes uh, a hacker a hacker is their creativity. Um, you know, Kevin Mitnick, who's very famous, um, you know, most of his attacks were social attacks. And what you do is you look for the, the weak links. And if people get too focused on technology and low level approaches, then they're sort of uh, going to be open to these other more obvious attacks. Um, so I think it's having this holistic pragmatic um, approach to your security and building threat models using creative people that's the most important for your security. Um, You can do the basics and that'll give you sort of, it's like getting a vaccine for some things, but it's not going to protect you from, from the big, the big problems. And it's a constant effort. So. 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And I I can't help but think back to some of the research and development that we've been doing around AI with Minecraft. Have you heard of the the project Project Malmo? I haven't. It's pretty interesting. So it's an R and D based uh, AI gaming um, project where it, it's, it lives in Minecraft and you have an AI agent and you have a Microsoft R&D agent, a human being. And the, the, the initiative and, and what you have to do in the game to win the game is to build the highest building to get to the top, the top of the level or the highest building, the top level. And the human agent has to teach the AI agent how to build these things and how to use tools but at some point, the AI, AI agent learns how to use the tools better than the human being and then can teach the human being in real time how to use those tools better. And just thinking about those kind of abilities, um, it, it, seemingly you'd think that we would be able to build agents that could solve some of our biggest data breach problems. Um, I think that in, in the narrower cases, it's a fantastic approach because you, for example, you know, narrow areas of network attacks at the protocol level, there are, there are things, you know, there's in the old days, there were fragmentation attacks, fraggle attacks where they um, looked at weaknesses in the protocol. I mean, things like that, you can probably train AI to do or patterns like there are often slow attacks so they, they don't trigger warnings. I mean, these are all things that, that you can think of AI really really playing a role. But, you know, what you won't find are the other kinds of things that are more creative. Like, for example, NSA's internal network, part of, it, part of its internet-connected network, was sort of exposed by someone who sent them an email, um, you know, into the network in different ways so that it would return errors. Um, and those errors allowed them to map the, the network of that, you know, internet-connected part of the network. So, it, it's, there's always a, a continuous battle between these hyper creative hacker types and and you know the more uh, military ordered focused uh, usually defenders. Um, usually the defenders are not as as oriented towards the creative side. So again, there's a there's a risk of building really powerful tools. You know, I can drop a bomb and then you know and and blow anybody away kind of attitude and then they come in with an atomic-powered cruise missile like, you know, the Russians are, are tweaking us with right now. So, you know. <laughs> now, now we're starting to get into the fun stuff, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying it's, it's good to keep a little modesty and, and not get too focused on the technology that's available for any area of this, I think. So a lot of people are bored with this, kind of, with this subject matter. A lot of people are like, oh, security, that's, that's, for the, that's for the IT department, that's for the CIO to deal with. Is, do, you, do you see it becoming more of a business issue that is centralized less around IT and centralized more around strategy and how businesses are building it into their growth, uh, their growth strategies moving forward? Yeah, I think that there's, there's obviously, as we have moved into an increasingly information-focused service economy, the importance of the information of the company that the company collects and in, in, in further um, improves and combines that becomes sort of the core value of quite a bit of the core value of the company, you know, knowing the fast routes for package delivery and all, all of these things, and, you know, knowing your customer better, or, um, even managing private information for your customer. It means you just have to do it. You have to, um, have a very good plan to keep yourself healthy or you're, you know, you, you risk, you know, going out of business or, 
you know, there have been companies that have gone out of business after breaches. I met with a CIO probably, probably three or four months ago in, in the automotive industry. And I had this amazing, this amazing perspective on what we're doing with connected car and how we can solve uh, all these different issues around battery degradation for the, some of the electric powertrains they had and some of their automobiles and all these, these beautiful solutions that we, we've done with some, some customers on an international basis. Um, and the CIO wasn't, he, he wasn't, he was excited about these things, but he saw some of the things I was sharing with him and said, you know, Derek, this is all great. But the only thing that I'm obsessed about right now is not ending up in the wall street journal. And you know, having a massive data breach overtake our business. Um, what do you say to someone like that when you're when you're in a you're in a great meeting and you're talking about ways to to further digitize and help them become a more data driven business and and security is just the the thing that's weighing the conversation down and the thing that he's having to uh, get through sleepless nights with. Well, I think it's not to wait until um, a very public breach occurs. Um, is probably the most important thing and to take it seriously and invest uh, prior to the to the problem and take you know take it seriously. Um, but you know there's nothing that prevents it from happening, and so I think it's a separation from the herd kind of problem where you just don't want to be the one that gets separated from the, the herd and and becomes the victim of the the lion. So make sure you're you're investing um, so that you don't look like you you didn't take it seriously. I mean, no one's going to blame, well, I can't completely say that, but in general, people will be reasonable in the public, I think, when um, companies made investments and then they suffer a breach and they can point to the investments they made and how they looked at the problem. But I think the people that, that have done poorly have been the ones who didn't have a good, you know, good plan beforehand and they got caught with their pants down. Um, and I think that having separation of duties that I keep coming back to and, and viewing audit logs and, and using tools like AI where it makes sense. Um, and, you know, avoiding magic bullets is the, the key. Um, one of my pet peeves is, is most people think security is, is, in, is either, it's either passwords or in, encryption. And, you know, encryption in particular is one that a lot of people to have as a checklist. And we joke about this with customers all the time. Hey, Here's how you do encryption of data at rest, which means, you know, that what's on disk, basically, um, because we know that they're being pressured to get that on a checkbox list of things that they've done. But in, in fact, encryption of data at rest has almost no bearing on real world attacks these days. Um, even that's a very controversial statement, but effectively, the way to think about it is this data stored on disk. We'll say disk. It's not really disk, but permanent storage. Um, offline storage. It's stored and it's encrypted. That sounds great. No one can see what it is. But if you ever want to use that data, you have to be able to decrypt it. And that means that the things in your company that need to be able to see the data have to be able to decrypt it. And usually the hack, the attacks will have access to the keys as well. Um, it's a deeper conversation or, uh, to have about how to think about that problem. Um, and how to get good encryption strategy in place. But in general, most customers, I'd say, you know, 99 out of 100, the encryption they're doing has minimal impact on their security of their environment. Um, so it's really, again, it's back to make sure you do a, a thorough um, straw man um, 
you know, red team, pretend you're hackers kind of approach to how would you exfiltrate data and what would block you from that in order to figure out what you need to do and makes the most sense for the company. Um, and when it comes down to that, what you find out is things like separation of duty, audit trail, having good authentication strategy for your you know, single sign-on so that people aren't writing their passwords down everywhere. Um, and in preferably, um, you know, for identity, it's very important. And Microsoft has a very strong um, set of products in this area. It's important to have multi what they call multi-factor security, where mm-hmm. you're, you're proving who you are, um, what you know, and what you have, sort of physical, three different layers, um, what we call defense in depth and security, which is belt and suspenders. You know, don't rely on one thing. Um, one other thing I'd like to bring up is that, um, and this is just a basic, these are the basic things that really are important. Um, it's important to think about the incentive around the way that you um, store and divide and protect data. Because one of the biggest mistakes people make is building the castle wall really high um, and putting all kinds of weapons on the castle wall. And then the attacker comes and poisons the water supply running under the castle. So it's important to not build too many incentives um, into your system where if, if, if your defenses are breached, you lose everything. So it's sort of the idea of the Titanic having um, bulkheads so that if a certain number of the bulkheads, you know, are breached or the, the, the water breaches into the bulkhead area, it doesn't sink the ship. Of course, the mistake the Titanic made was that they grazed uh, uh, the, the, the ice and it actually ripped a, a long hole along the side across the bulkheads. So, and this is exactly the kind of thing that happens in security, but the importance is to think ahead about these things. Got it. So, so not over-investing in any one uh, specific technology, any one exactly. specific Exactly. And involving as many diverse people in the threat modeling of how you think about your company and, and security so that you get differing viewpoints, um, just like you have um, you know, different genomes among people help to protect the human race from being wiped out. You, you know, the diversity in the design is very important. So you, you touched on a, on a good concept and you, or you shared a lot of different stories with me about your time in, in Redmond on the product team. And, and I love hearing some of these stories. So going back to your last statement about diversity and how folks work together, can you talk about a story about a time you had to handle a situation on the product group in Redmond where some of these things made a lot of sense, where you had folks from different teams, folks that had different experiences that were able to, to stop a mission-critical breach or, or solve a, a problem that was extremely, extremely visible to leadership or to our customers, for that matter? Well, there are a lot of um, sort of low-level uh, meeting cases where, you know, you have a room full of people that all agree and then someone walks in um, and sort of brings something up that no one thought of. Uh, you know, I don't know if there are ones that I would share that are all that interesting at the highest level here, um, but I think that what you see, like we had security push. So just backing up, we Microsoft get hit by a a virus called Slammer. Uh, it was back in was it two thousand or two thousand one? Um, two thousand one, I think. And 
And it spread across the world in less than 15 minutes. And it took out ATMs. It took out everything working with SQL Server that was publicly facing in any way. Um, and actually, we used that to discover how widely used we were and not always licensed, by the way. Um, so that was very interesting. Um, it was taken very seriously in Redmond. And we stopped for a year. Um, and all we did at Microsoft across the major groups was work on security. And we pulled everything apart and, and sort of, you know, a, approached that from the ground up. And I was very happy about that because I had felt that it didn't get the attention it deserved. Um, but in the process of doing that, we, we did build these threat models and we had meetings where we would po- punch holes in other people's ideas. Um, and we would find things. I'll give you a great example. Um, SQL Server Agent is this job subsystem in SQL Server where it runs the jobs that people write that need to run for administrative pur- purposes. So it it maybe you know starts something up and and, t- and runs some tasks where it will do a backup to your database or you know uh, reindex a table, things that are normal in database industry. And there are tons and tons of, of business processes also written with this. Well, what I noticed was that that was running with administrator rights. So what that meant is that anything anybody could schedule would be able to run and execute in the context of admin, administrator. Um, that's what we call escalation of privilege. So I may be a low-level user that doesn't have a lot of rights, but if I can get something scheduled or I can get somebody's job that is already scheduled by that to call my code, then it runs as administrator. And that's a classic what they call escalation of privilege attack. So effectively, people could take over the computer um, and all of the database software and do whatever they wanted. And that was open to the world. Like pretty much anybody who was creative and thought about it would, would have been able to do it. And so I had to go to the the, the tools team and then argue uh, to have some investment done to change that so that each step in the job could run as a different lower privilege. And that became what, what's known as the proxy accounts in SQL Server Agent. So these are the, just the internals of how you think about, you know, threat modeling and a real world example of one um, that, that I, that I uh, closed as part of the threat. And it, another thing that's interesting is that the one thing you don't want to do with hackers, and I made this point early on that when we first got attacked, is you, they're creative people and they're, they're, you know, they get their, their joy out of being the smartest person um, show, sort of showing up uh, that people are trying to protect the system. So you really don't want to get into a, an argument or a pissing match with hackers. That's just not smart. Um, and so you know, what we did at Microsoft is we invited them in to actually present to us how they think about attacking systems. And in the process of that, you know, they're more likely to share, they were more likely to share with us attacks that they knew before they went public. And we gave them full credit for anything they found. Um, And that's really become, you know, more or less a standard in the industry called, you know, if something doesn't follow that model, it's called a zero day, which means we no one got a warning beforehand. Um, And that's really the way to think about this. It's, you're not going to protect yourself. You don't want to, um, get into like, uh, you know, some people think, oh, let's hack back. Let's hack the people who hacked us. That's a really, really, really bad idea, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. 
uh, not the least of which is that somebody can take advantage of you by making it look like uh, one of their enemies attacked you and then they've now used your power against their enemy. So also sounds very defensive and reactionary, which uh, could have its own issues there. We fixed, we fixed, uh, I, I fixed a, a, uh, a quote bug unquote um, in the product uh, and I, like I mentioned, we've got more than we can fix, but I went and I prioritized it to fix it because it was perceived by someone that ha- was attacking us a lot as being a, a bug, a security bug. I knew for a really complicated set of reasons that it actually wasn't, wouldn't be successful. And the person hadn't done enough research to realize that, but instead of getting into a, you know, getting, you know, telling them they're wrong and then having them redouble their efforts, I just fixed it. Matt's the rescue. <laughs> just just being smart about these things is so yeah. important. Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like you have a ton of experience. Like, I mean, you mentioned working on the SQL Server uh, bugging for an entire year to, to build threat protection models. It's, that's, that's incredible. Um, so now that we have talked about some of the, the security um, issues we wanted to, to go through and heard a little bit more about your experience, if you could choose any project right now to work on in, in any company, what would it be and why? I think that I've been really concerned about climate change um, and, you know, the greenhouse effect that's been widely you know, discussed for a hundred years now. Um, and it's pretty simple. And I think what I would do and physics wise is pretty understandable. Um, the challenges that we face are, are very, are higher than what I think even the scientists as they're communicated by the media um, are relaying. And I think that it's important to show people that there is a positive um, future, even if the change required is not incremental. I think there's, there are people thinking that we can do incrementally change and have a significant impact on our direction. And I don't, based on what I've researched, I don't think that's true. And so I think, the one thing that I could do or would be important to do right now would be to come up with a science fiction movie that starts in the year 2050 shows an adapted society to zero carbon net carbon by humans, and then backs up decade at a time from there into a fictional story of, of how we became incentivized and made the change just necessary to reach that, that point. And the important thing here being that we see a different world in 2050 it's still a world we all want to live in and shows that there is something that can actually make a big difference. So did you, did you enjoy uh, Blade Runner 2049? <laughs> of course. I love the original. <laughs> all right. I, that's kind of what was going on in my mind when you're describing that. That's, that's great, Matt. So how about a, a, just, a, just a, a quick, interesting exercise because of the experience that you have and some of the things that you've worked on in projects. I wanted to see the first thing that came to mind when I taught, when I asked the, when I mentioned the, the following five words oracle uh first uh top relational database aws uh leader in the cloud uh area azure um challenger uh clear challenger to aws broader platform google cloud um I think they're number eight now. That's what I think of. <laughs> Watson. Marketing. All right. I like it. 
Well, Matt, I'm sure people will want to reach out to you. Um, you've been a great mentor to me and continue to do so. And, and hopefully we can still uh, keep sharing ideas in the future. And can folks reach out to you on LinkedIn? Is that the best way to get a hold of you? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. Really appreciate your time and looking forward to having you back on soon. Thanks, Derek, for inviting me. This was fun. Definitely. Talk to you soon, Matt. Thank you.